0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. And on this week's podcast, I decided to play back a 30-minute keynote talk that I gave in London at the Commercial Property Summit. Now, this event took place last March before COVID-19 hit. The event was organized by Brendan Quinn Events, and it was held in the Radisson Blue Hotel in Canary Wharf. I just thought it would be useful insofar as it gives some context and backstory to my journey to date and it also gives you a little bit of history to East Point, the business park that I'm running here and recording from here in Dublin. I also cover some of my career ups and downs and then uh, some of the lessons learnt and the the, the, the do's and don'ts of property as some takeaways. So I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, without any further ado, here it is. Thanks everyone, this thing is on, okay great. I just wanna see if I got this working, yeah. Okay, so driving trends in office space, I think that was Brendan's uh, heading and uh, I think it's probably, it sounds like I'm driving trends, it's, it's really trends that are driving office space that I'm here to talk about today. The, the best way to, to get into this is, I, I was trying to get a gauge the size of, or the, the, the experience of the audience. I've been told that there's some very experienced uh, commercial investors here, and then I've been told that there's some complete beginners here. So I thought I'd start with just a, a show of hands as who's considers themselves experienced, all right, and then kind of beginner, more beginners. All right, so there's more beginners. Well, I've structured it so that there's a, um, a little bit of some lessons, really, for the beginners. And, um, and in fact, for the beginners, there's a friend of mine showed up today, Jason Greystone. And uh, Jason has a great podcast called Always Free that I'm just plugging for him since he went to the trouble of coming to see me. So a little bit of back story on myself. Who is this guy? Why are you listening to an Irish bloke standing on the audience? Uh, the, um, my background is, um, as Brendan has, he, he's spoken a lot about East Point. So, this here is an image of East Point just taken recently. It's, it's quite a big business park. It's, um, it's about 40 acres in total, 37 buildings, about 50 occupiers, and about eight or 9,000 people turning up every single day for work. We don't know exactly because the likes of Oracle and Google, those guys keep their numbers very much to themselves. They don't like to, to blab about how much they've got or how many employees. My involvement in East Point has been right from the very, very beginning. Um, my, my family It's actually a family business that I come from. My father and his cousins were involved in buying this site. I'm going to show you what the site looked like back in 1989. This here is the site and it's actually a reclamation project. This entire area that we've built East Point was once the estuary. What you see here actually, this whole area here, Everything in green basically used to be the sea, the the tidal estuary of the Talca River. So over years, this was filled in using landfill. Just through the growth of Dublin port, they kept on adding acres and acres and acres. And in the end, we got an opportunity back in 1989 to buy this plot of land. It was ex-landfill and therefore extremely cheap. I think we might have paid 4 million Irish pounds for it, so about 100,000 per acre. But then again, it was landfill, so it wasn't clear what we were going to be able to do on it. The master plan took about three years. We had a lot of negotiation with the with the tenant, with the local authority. The local authority were very nervous about the fact that this was landfill. Uh, you guys will be aware that landfill generates a lot of noxious gases, like methane and. Um, hydrogen sulfide and carbon dioxide and those things meant that this was never going to be a residential site. We were looking at it initially as a light industrial site to kind of blend in with the the port uh, usage that was going on. So you see here there's a big there's a big kind of warehouse shed here and that is a part of the site that we'd like to acquire today. (laughs) As we were going through the the discussions with the local authority our architects were scouring the kind of the, the, the different plans going on around the world and the different projects. And they came across Stockley Park here in London, in Oxbridge. When they saw that, they brought it to us and they showed us and they suggested a low density campus type environment. And that made a lot more sense, a lot more profitability potentially than, than light industrial. Because there wasn't very much likelihood that there would be a, a huge amount of uh, employment created by light industrial. Whereas an in office park, you could look, nowadays we have obviously eight or 9,000 people. If it was light industrial, it would be you know, a fraction of that. Getting into the construction, the development started in 1991. There was a lot of work to be done on the site. The fact that it is landfill, you've got to go and prepare the ground for for the gases. The gases that are going to be escaping from the ground have to be mitigated. So we had to build a whole network of pipes that take the gas out of the ground. There's trenches, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. Today, still today, about 20... Uh, Nearly 30 years on now, we are still actually monitoring the gas in the park. It's, it's a, there's a whole system there that's monitoring constantly because this gas is uh, it's odorless, so no one's going to smell the gas. And we have automatic systems that start to vent the buildings if there's any kind of an issue. Here it is closer to completion. This actually is, is quite a few years ago. Since, since we opened this here, this whole area here, this turned into the, uh, the Dublin port tunnel. And uh, so we now are only 12 minutes from the airport, which makes it quite an attractive site for some of the international companies. So we managed to attract Google and Oracle and a lot of the big occupiers because of our proximity to the airport. And um, in terms of getting investors to invest, one of the negotiations we had was with the Department of Finance in Ireland because it was a regeneration project former landfill, we were able to get tax breaks. So we turned the project into a capital allowance project and every penny that the investors spent was actually able to be taken back over a period of 10 years against your tax. When the project was finished, it moved into, I'll just go back a second, it went into more of an estate management role. What we had done is we had sold off a lot of the buildings to investors and the investment partnerships were able to take advantage of the tax breaks that were there so it became more of an estate management role rather than development and i didn't find that quite so interesting so i got a little bit detoured over into commercial so it's been interesting listening to the findings of the guys speaking before me i got into commercial and i found some of the things that ranjan has been talking about to be very much the case easy management and all of that but you've got to be very careful with your tenants because a couple of the buildings that we bought Uh, over the years, actually um, today if you were to go buy them, they'd actually be sitting empty because the tenant has since gone bust and it's very hard to let a building if a tenant has gone bust. (coughs) Something that was far more profitable was bank branches. This here is a branch in Ranala that I bought in in a deal with the bank itself and we replaced it with this building here. So that was was the start of a, we basically became a preferred partner for the bank, where we would actually buy some of their buildings off of them and replace them with brand new buildings like the one you see behind. At the time, the bank was starting to offload some of their portfolio. They didn't want to have freehold assets on their books, and so they were offloading those. And it was a good opportunity to step in. I heard somebody talking about 100% finance nowadays not being allowed. Back then, we were getting 110% finance on some of these <laughs> deals. I, I took another detour, we shall say, and I went to the south of Spain, and I came, fell in love with this project here. This is all retail. And at the time when I saw it, I saw the boats, and I saw the sunshine. And I just thought, how can this not be the best deal of the century? I'm going to turn it into a sunny Bond street. I'm going to fill it with Gucci and Armani and all of these different brands. And they'll all come and they'll flock. That was a big mistake. I bought it three months before Lehman Brothers collapsed. So timing could be better. We ended up in a situation where about two years later, after spending two years traveling around the globe, meeting all these different guys. I met the head of uh, Ralph Lauren. And I I, I met all these real estate guys for Gucci and Armani and all these guys. And they're all saying, we'd love to move in. Just give us two and a half million euros so we can fit out our shop, please. And that was the same conversation once one went, they all went and so we ended up with a completely empty thing which was a little bit of a a dent in the CV up until that point. So I went to Dubai and I spent a bit of time working with a friend of mine. This here is the construction of the Standard Chartered Bank, it's the headquarters in Dubai. Good friend of mine was quite friendly with with the real estate team in there and he managed to convince them to consolidate all of their leases throughout Dubai into one building. And so we got involved in this project together. And here is the topping out ceremony. Us Irish go for very lavish kind of uh, ceremonies, as you can see. And uh, (laughs) the project actually, that's it there, completed. It's quite a nice uh, project. Before we actually bought the site, we had a fully leased up building. And so that was was an easy one to do. And it's all was down to the relationships that we had. That spurred this. The guys in Standard Chartered were so pleased with how it went that they actually asked us to go to Ghana in West Africa and actually build Standard Chartered headquarters in Africa. That's a project. I went to Ghana. I spent about six months there. But um, I didn't stay on because it's a difficult place to kind of move things along. And back in Dublin, uh, this is around about 2014, 2015. The recession in Dublin was absolutely brutal. Land prices in East Point dropped by 80% and um, we had some struggles with our banks. Obviously, once you go below 40%, 50%, you're in already in a bit of difficulty. You go to 80% and, uh, and it takes a real struggle to kind of keep the business afloat. But we managed to do that, and in fact, by bringing in partners that were larger than us and stuff, we were actually able to buy back some of the buildings from the original partnerships we sold to, and we ended up buying buildings at less than the cost that we had constructed them 10 years before that. It was during that period that we actually managed to buy back 16 of our own buildings that we had sold off. It's been a good experience. Today, East Point is um, there's about 50 occupiers, as I mentioned. They're all, most of them are multinationals. And uh, we have Deutsche Bank there, Oracle, Google. Oracle are in seven of our buildings. Google are in six. And uh, so they, they're, they're a very large presence and we put a lot of uh, attention into looking after them, making sure that they're very happy with the way we're running the park. We have a a bus service that brings people to the the local train station. We do about 3,500 people a day on that service. We have um, about 2,500 people driving in every day, another 1,000 people cycling in, and then the balance walk or take public transport. I'm in contact with the, uh, the occupiers on a day-to-day basis and by, by communicating with them so frequently I've started to see trends that are definitely filtering in and there, there are things that you see first of all with the big guys and then you see the smaller guys starting to drift in that and my prediction is that these things will actually become ubiquitous and we'll all be looking at this before too long. So the four main trends that I see in the office space, the first one is smart, prop tech, innovation, all of that kind of stuff. And the second I'm seeing is, is green. But actually, what I'm seeing these days is the, the two go together. So you're seeing smart and green. You're not seeing one or the other. Wellness is another area I'm going to talk about. And then flexible space. So you obviously, most of you will be familiar. This is the, the Bloomberg building here in London. Obviously, a guy that can spend $500 million in four months of a presidential campaign, he can afford whatever he wants to build in central London. This building apparently cost a billion pounds to do. It's the greenest building in the world now. It's, it's hit this level, I think, Briam 98.6 or something like that. It's, nothing's ever come close to this. Um, uh, well, there's something in, in, in Amsterdam that has come very, very close. This here is the um, Microsoft headquarters in Dublin. And similarly, they've spent a huge amount of money on technology, sensors, some of the stuff that we're seeing IoT sensors, the entire buildings are laced with IoT sensors. Every time you walk into a toilet, the light comes on. It's sending signals back to a database that says, that toilet got so many uses today. Then there's other parts of the building that don't get used. They can repurpose them. They can move things around. It's it's extremely efficient, space efficient. They know exactly how much of the building is getting utilized, how much is not. And it's allowing them to move to an agile workplace where guys are working from home. If, they're dro- if they decide to come to work today, it'll allocate them a desk while they're in the car on the way in. The role of AI, I really do think uh, artificial intelligence is going to start creeping in in a big way. The more people that are using IoT sensors, the more data that's being collected, it starts to get above the ability of a a facilities manager to manage all of this data and so AI I think is going to start entering into the into the conversation where the building is actually being managed by the AI and the guys um, you know that old joke that they had uh, the guy and the dog and, and the, the dog is there to keep the guy from touching anything you know and the guy's job is just to feed the dog you know? finding the balance is one of the difficult things obviously everyone is talking today about uh, privacy and GDPR and all of these things and we have noticed that we start looking at putting in technology, like cameras and sensors and things like that. Um, the problem is that you get a bit of pushback from the actual occupiers, tenants, that are the, the staff that are working in the building. They don't want to be constantly monitored. They don't want to be watched. And there are sensitivities. So it's finding a balance there can be a bit of a struggle. Moving to green. This is the building in Amsterdam I spoke about. It's called the Edge. And it's in Amsterdam. And it's, occupied primarily by Deloitte. When Deloitte did an internal study into their recruitment, they found that 67% of the people working in the building were working there because of the building. And so that is what has filtered out to the uh, conversations that are going with some of these big, big companies. That's why you're seeing the likes of Apple, um, Bloomberg, Microsoft, Oracle as well in, in our park have invested huge sums of money in their buildings. And it's because the, the young people that are, they're trying to attract, this war on talent that all of these guys are fighting, it's, it's critical for them to have a building that speaks to the younger population, that they feel that they can pick out their phone, they can choose a desk for the day. They're not cubby-holed away in one area. There's different spaces. There's all these breakout areas. There's areas, it's a, the agile workplace works on the basis that it's activity-based workplace. So you have got people that are, for example, in a sales, The sales department, they all have desks that can be raised because sales guys find that they perform better when they're standing on their feet. But then you have the the accounts department, the guys are at a computer all day, so they want to sit at their desks. So you've got these agile workplaces that are now moving around. So a person can decide they're going to go into a room, they're going to book the room using their phone. It's all interconnected now. Green, though, is becoming a major, major push. This is some of the technology. The the sensors, they're providing water temperatures, air temperatures, the the quality, the amount of carbon dioxide in the air. All of this is feeding into their systems, and they're able to optimize the building for the best performance, both from a sustainability point of view. Environmentally, it's very important. You've got a lot of millennials that won't work in a building anymore if it's not considered to be sustainable. And I'm finding a lot of the conversations I'm having with my tenants are now about, their waste, how is their waste being handled, how much of it is recycled, how much of it is going to landfill. They actually want to know these details from me. And in the past, we were like, oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, ask the bin company. That's not good enough. You really do now have to be on top of it all. And unless you're using technology, it's, it's not going to be very easy to answer some of those. So sustainability is not just the building fabric itself. It's the operational aspects of it. And that is you know, reusing water rainwater harvesting, all of that stuff. The reporting is becoming a major thing, as I mentioned. Just these reports, the guy, I get approached about every three months by a lot of the occupiers. And they have what's called a CSR audit. And they have to fill out a document on their corporate social responsibility. And there's all these boxes. How much of our energy is coming from uh, wind-generated electricity? How much is coming from coal-fired uh, furnaces? All of these details are starting to filter in. and. I know that on a smaller scale, you know, commercial, you're not going to have these considerations at the moment. But I do think that the market is shifting in that generation. And one of the things we're concerned about is we're seeing the larger tenants, they're moving so much towards that, that if we're not keeping up with it, they just won't rent your building. And you'll have a building that can't be rented in a couple of years unless you're kind of keeping up with this. Mobility is another huge area. So many more people are cycling. When we designed East Point back in the early days, nobody cycled. We had you know one or two bike racks in the park, and they were half empty all year round. It was only in the sunny days that people would decide. Now we've got about a 1,000 people a day cycling in. And even in the rain, the bike racks are all full. And so storage is becoming a bit of an issue. Guys don't uh, have enough space. So we're constantly buying bike racks and adding them into the park. And also things like electric car charging, that started. We've got guys driving in there with Teslas, and they're saying, where am I going to charge my car? This here is the roof of, one of the Oracle building. It's all solar panels. This is a green roof. It's all part of the way these things are moving. Um, one of the reasons for it is 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions are coming from real estate. And that being the case, we are an easy target as an industry and if you know we're all aware of the climate protests that are going on out there there's so much of this happening that at some point in the near future if you look at finland they've just appointed The youngest, she's not only female, but she's the youngest prime minister ever elected, I think 37 years of age. And that's the way it's starting to move. And once the younger people are in power, you'll start seeing the agenda shift towards climate change. And I think we are an easy target at 40%. If we're not making these things, they'll just tax us. And we're going to find ourselves getting taxed for badly performing buildings. Wellness. Um, This is not what I mean by wellness, by the way. A lot of the stuff that's coming out now, there's actually a well certification. So buildings are now, there's an organization in America called, I I can't remember the name, but it's the Wellness Organization. They certify that your building has been designed with the occupant's health and wellness. And it comes down to thermal comfort, both hot and cold. One of the biggest issues I hear from our facility people is that somebody arrives in wearing a t-shirt, Jason over here is in a t-shirt. People standing next to him are in jackets. You can never find the right balance. And so that is a big issue for uh, staff, which is why they're creating these different breakout areas so that if you're too cold, you can go to one area. You're not stuck at a desk with a fan above your desk freezing you when you want to, be, when you want to warm up. Uh, if you want performance from your team, more oxygen in the air will actually give them a higher performance. That, all that is starting to get measured. Lighting, glare, the amount of lighting actually can put you to sleep if it's a certain lux, and also um, your concentration levels are affected by that. Sound quality as well, a lot of people, there's, there's three different, I call it the three C's you have. You've got areas for concentration, you've got areas for collaboration, and you've got areas for communication. Guys on the phones don't want to have all this background noise. Guys concentrating don't want all this background noise. Collaboration, no problem at all. More noise, the better. Everybody's kind of getting their word in. You need to mix those places up. Access to healthy food—you wouldn't have thought it, but nowadays, if you like having your pizza takeaway next door to the building—is not uh, a positive any longer. The vegan restaurant is is what everyone seems to be going for. Natural daylight—another big one. Every, everyone wants to have natural daylight. You're not going to find people sitting in the inner core of the building any longer in-house gym. This is actually the Oracle in-house gym that they built in East Point. Um, it, the building opened just recently and I mean this would put a lot of gyms to shame around uh, around Dublin. And this is exclusively for the use of the, the staff. And they even have a drying room. So the guys that either run or cycle to work can go in, have a shower, and then they can put their sweaty clothes into a drying room. And it's actually it, it's blasting heat all day, so they actually have dry clothes to take home later on. Uh, meditation and yoga. This is another room actually in the Oracle building. And it is specifically for people to do either yoga or meditate. They're actually creating spaces for people to t- take a break, go down and do a little 10 minute meditation. Biophilia. You're going to see more and more of that. It's just the ability to touch and feel the green around you. Access to nature is a major thing now uh, for people's mental health. Flexible space. We work in the the news for all the wrong reasons in the last couple of months. But they actually got the product market fit really, really well. They found a, uh, a niche. Everyone was kind of moving out of coffee shops. They wanted to move into something where they could mingle with other people. And that has filtered now out. And even though WeWork might be in trouble, I don't think co-working is going anywhere. It's here to stay. What I found in Dublin, and I believe probably London would be the same, is that anything under 5,000 square foot, we are struggling to find tenants for it now. They will just automatically go to a WeWork. And so that is a company up to, say, 50 staff. They're not even going to talk to us any longer. They're just going to go straight to a WeWork because they can shrink and expand as they need. It's expensive, but they don't have to fit out an office. They don't have to pay for dilapidations at the end of it. Convene is one of the companies in New York. They actually work with landlords to create these flexible spaces. And that's an interesting model rather than WeWork, which kind of goes against you. Uh, Industrious is another. Uh, This is one windmill lane in Dublin. It's a lovely space, repurposing an old building. These things are very attractive and very usable. That is the office market. I thought I'd give you a couple of lessons learned, some do's and don'ts that I've picked up over my 25-year career. The three E's, ego, emotions, and economy. Don't ever ignore these. Okay? This project that turned into a complete disaster for me was primarily because I ignored the three E's. Uh, I fell in love with the project. The emotion got in, way, in the way. I, was, I had people telling me, are you sure it's going to work? Absolutely, it's sure. I have, I'm going to do this. Ego. Your ego will get in the way. Some of the pr- biggest things for the young guys in the, in the room that are starting out, if you have a couple of real successes, that's a big time to take a reflection. Because the successes can really get you to make serious mistakes. And I would not have bought this had I not had a couple of years of huge success and made lots of money and thought, yeah, I can do anything. Uh, why not move to Spain and do a completely different sector that I don't know anything about? <laughs> the economy, another thing. Who knew four months ago that we would be looking at a coronavirus thing here today? It's, it can change overnight. And that's something that people, they look at figures and you can see that your, your building is going to be, it's going to grow and you're going to see rents increasing over the next couple of years. It doesn't always happen like that. The do's, remember the, f- the six or's, roadmap. This is knowing your plan into the future. I've, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Jason's podcast is very good at pointing out that this is a marathon, not a sprint. If you guys go into it thinking, right, I'm going to make five or six million in three years, and that's going to be great. Maybe you're going to do that, but the reality is, is you might have that coronavirus that comes out of nowhere and you're going to be 10 million in debt overnight. And that is something to bear in mind. So just be comfortable with your roadmap. Think of your, think of your career as, a say, a 20-year career and say to yourself, right, I can make a nice steady income over the next 20 years. I'm going to lose some deals. Some wins and some fails. If you just assume that from the beginning, you're not going to get into a situation where you bet the ranch on one deal, and, and it all goes pear-shaped. Reputation. One of the, some of the great reasons that we've been able to do some of these deals in East Point is down to our reputation. We, we build quality. We don't take shortcuts. And that has stood to us over the years. Relationships, as I, as I mentioned, relationships. Half of these deals that we've done wouldn't have gone to the market because you've got relationships with people. They tell you, they give you little insight tips. They tell you that their headcount projections are growing for the next couple of years. We'll actually be needing an office very soon. All of this kind of stuff, they're not going to share that with strangers. But if you have a good relationship, your reputation obviously ha- helps your relationships as well. Resilience, as I mentioned, the market can go pear-shaped overnight or certainly within three or four months. Who knows where this coronavirus is going to go? But resilience, you've got to be prepared for the difficult times, because they will come. They'll catch you. Be realistic. I've seen guys buying property on the basis that the market is going to keep on going up, 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 up. It's never going to stop going up. And OK, you've got some markets. You've got you know, Toronto, and you've got Australia, where it never sees a down season. But that's very much in the minority. And the likelihood is you're going to get caught if you keep thinking that it's never going to stop. And reserves, don't fall into the FOMO trap. FOMO, fear of missing out. Every deal that came to me, yeah, I'll buy it, because I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. And then when the market turned south and it lost 80%, I had no reserves, I couldn't take advantage of the prices. Now, thankfully, the family business weren't so reckless as I was personally, and they were able to kind of do a couple of deals. But that's the kind of uh, lessons. If you have your capital reserves put aside, don't touch it. We call it a buffer. And uh, that buffer, if you don't touch your buffer, you're never going to fear, fear the recession when it does come along. Some takeaways, I just sustainability. If it hasn't been obvious, that is going to be something that really everyone is going to be affected by it in this industry, I'm pretty su- certain. Hospitality, the we works of the world, people expect a certain level of hospitality now when you're walking into a building. The old days of just being four checks a year that Ranjan spoke about earlier, I'm not sure that that's going to continue. I do think there's an element of hospitality, People ex- an, an experience. People expect a certain level. They're not just going to be happy for you to kind of be the landlord who lives in the distance and only sees them once or twice a year. Engagement. We're, we're putting out videos now for our tenant staff. We're communicating with them, telling them about the latest things. and uh, brand building is another thing. that's. I think that the days of being a, re- a quiet real estate guy that just sits in the background and nobody knows about you, I think those days are gone. We're in social media now. People expect you. They check you out. They look at your background. So a certain amount of brand is important. Anyone wants to learn more, I'm unfortunately not able to stay around because I have an airport to get to. But um, you can find out. I have a blog that I keep. I have a YouTube channel that I, I haven't put too much onto it at the moment, but you'll find more stuff. And then I'm about to launch a podcast soon so you'll learn more about that if you follow me on social. Uh, I don't know if that's it. Great zero. <laughs> Thank you guys All right, guys, I hope you found that uh, talk useful, interesting, engaging. If you wanna see the actual video of the talk, um, I'll actually put a link in the show notes below. Also, if you wanna see the slide deck that I put together for that particular talk, you'll find that in um, SlideShare. If you look up my name, Gavin J. Gallagher, I'll actually put a link in the show notes below. So assuming you found this episode useful, Please hit subscribe and maybe even consider leaving me a review over on iTunes. Help me move up the rankings there. Alternatively, if you can share this episode out to your social media following and perhaps any friends or colleagues you feel might benefit from it. And lastly, if you want to reach out to me, I'd be delighted to hear from you. I'd love to know where you're listening from, where in the world. And so you can connect, ask a question make suggestions of topics you think i should cover in the future send me an email to info at proptech.tv or to my website gavanjgallagher.com. guys been good talking to you i hope you're staying safe and uh, hope to hear from you in the near future speak next week